0: The scripture reading for tonight is from Luke 14, uh, verses 25 through 34. Now great multitudes accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? The word of the Lord.
1: Now those are pretty harsh words, aren't they? Pretty harsh words. Those words are hard to hear. You're thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That's not the Jesus that I'm used to. I thought that Jesus was kind and loving and nice. I thought it was wrong to hate. It must really say something else. So you rub your eyes and you read it again. Unless you hate, oh yeah, it says hate, it says hate, it doesn't seem like Jesus, it doesn't seem very nice, well get used to it, because it's an extreme situation, and extreme situations call for extreme measures. That's right, friends, this is an extreme situation. Jesus is on his way to do a job that no one else can do. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to be arrested, suffer, and die so others might live. This is an extreme situation. Now, that's not the end of the story. Jesus' death is not the end, because God raised Jesus from the dead. And even though Jesus was the only one who could do that job, he knew that even while he was talking to that great multitude, that after his resurrection, it was going to be their turn, your turn, There was going to be a job for all of us to do, and he wanted to make sure that we were ready. He wanted us to prepare for that job, and he wanted us to know that it was not going to be easy. No, it was not always going to be nice, because there are serious things at stake here. The most serious things are at stake here, and if you aren't prepared to go all the way, don't even start the trip. Let's read the book here. Jesus goes on to tell a couple of stories to make his point. He says, which of you, if you are going to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the costs and see if you have enough money to complete the job? Otherwise, you've laid the foundation and you're not able to finish what you started. Now, get this. He goes on to say, all of those who saw that unfinished tower began to mock the builder, saying, this man began to build a tower. Was not even able to finish it. What king going into battle will not first sit down and figure out whether he's able to with ten thousand to win the battle against twenty thousand? And if he figures he cannot, then he sends out an ambassador and asks for peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. This is an extreme situation, friends, and it calls for extreme disciples. Are you extreme disciples? Jesus wants to make sure we understand. Not because he's being mean. Come on. Jesus is not doing that out to be mean. He's doing it out of love. Can't you feel that love? Love for us. Because he wants us to understand what it's going to take. Extreme situations call for extreme love. Tough love. And this is indeed an extreme situation, not just the situation in Jesus' time, but today we are an extreme situation, right now, right here, today. There are things at stake, the whole game is at stake, friends. It's like Jesus is a football coach in the locker room at halftime. It's a close game, and it's now or never. Coach Jesus is getting his team up for the second half, and he's talking not just to that great multitude, but to all of us on his team. And he's saying, what's it going to take for us to win this one? It's going to take everything you have, your family, your mother, your father, your kids, everything. This is job one, Jesus says. Are you willing to give it all? Well, decide now. Count the cost. El quanto costo in the Latin, which literally means count the cost. Are you gonna be able to finish the game? Because if you can't, don't even start. Don't even start, friends, because if you can't, what's what's gonna happen? People will mock you, people will laugh at you and make fun of you. And if you tell people you're a disciple of Jesus and you can't even go all the way, you know what? You're gonna be an extreme loser. That's right, friends, so decide now. Jesus says, out of love, oh yes, out of love, And it is tough love. Decide now, because if you can't go all the way, if you can't go all the way, friends, it gets worse. It's worse than having people just laugh at you, mock you. Verse 34 says, salt is good, but if that salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? How will it be restored, friends? Any scientist you know can tell you once sodium has lost its saltiness, it is In a fact of chemistry that it is impossible for its saltiness to be returned. It's a fact of chemistry, friends. Jesus goes on. Then that salt does not fit neither for the land nor for the dung heap. Now, there's a phrase I like. Sold out. You know this phrase? Sold out. You know what it means? Sold out? It means that you have given everything, sold everything to follow Jesus. It means that you have given all that you have, your entire soul, not just to be, not just part of it, not just three quarters of your soul, friends, but your entire soul, to follow Jesus. It means that you're an extreme disciple. An extreme disciple, and it means you're going to finish the job. Jesus is going all the way, and this is the only way to be my disciple, he says, friends. Let's be extreme disciples, friends. Let's get out there. We have a job to do. Would I like to kill that Jesus? Man, would I like to kill that God? I would like to kill that football coach Jesus. I would like to kill that football coach God. I'd like to kill that football coach preacher. All of them. But it's very hard. It's hard because they all, they live inside of me. Even now when I read the Bible, the first voice that I hear in my head is that football coach Jesus, that football coach preacher. And after hearing it all my life, after hearing those sermons and interpretations of the text by so many different teachers and preachers, after using them myself so many times, it's really hard to kill them off. But... They have to die. They have to die. They have to be gotten rid of. If I ever figure out what this stuff is about, if I ever want to know what really these texts are about, this Jesus story is about, i got to kill that football coach Jesus in those football coach readings. Because you know the football coach Jesus? It's just too easy. It's too easy to believe And it's too easy to dismiss. It's too easy to believe because it echoes our culture. It echoes the culture I was raised in, that I live in. Finish what you started, right? If you're going to do something, do it right. Try harder. You can do anything if you just try enough, right? And if you don't accomplish the things that you wanted to, you didn't try hard enough. And if you don't accomplish those things, try harder. Because Jesus wants you to try harder, right? Jesus wants you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This Jesus never considers the fact that you don't have any boots. Never takes into account that you might be trying really, really hard. And still not be able to make it. What if I count the cost... And I really, really believe that I have what it takes. And I'm really willing to give everything to go all the way. But then along the way, I find out that I don't. I don't have what it takes. I don't give everything up. I take something back. I screw up. I lose my saltiness, right? And there's no way to get it back. How shall it be restored? No, it's dung heap time for me. I would get slaughtered by the opposing armies. I'm laughed at for not being able to finish the job. Football coach Jesus is this weird mix of a motivational speaker and a mean dad shaming me for being lazy. You have to go all the way. Give up everything. Finish what you started. Mean dad football coach Jesus It just makes me want to cry and give up. It's too easy to believe because it echoes the culture we live in. But it's also too easy to dismiss. Jesus wants me to hate my mom and dad? I mean, uh uh-uh. I don't think so. Well... If that's what Jesus really wants, I think that sounds like a pretty good reason not to believe in Jesus. All I have to do is use my brain to figure out that the football coach sermon is ridiculous. If I can imagine a God who is more loving and intelligent than the one I find in the Bible, then it's obviously time to get a new God, to get a new Bible. Such a flat and unforgiving God is too easy and it's a lie. You mix a little truth with lies, you put them in the mouth of a competent public speaker and you say it over and over again and you guarantee that there will always be enough work for the therapist. Now, you know what is really hard? What is hard is to actually use my brain and passion, what my soul maybe, and try to figure out what this really says. Because I can't believe it the way football coach preacher says it, and I desperately do not want to dismiss it because I believe that there is, like, good news, and I believe that I can find it in our sacred texts. So I rub my eyes and I read it again, not with the sense that hard work and perseverance will elicit the meaning that I want, not simply to explain away my own horror, but I give myself to it completely with trust that it is a book of the God that knows me and loves me and it is the book that our people have found this great good news in for thousands of years. And I try to remind myself that the text is not about me, it is about Jesus. I try to remember that every word of judgment is not about eternal life in hell, but simply a word of judgment and wrong actions are judged all the time. I do not have to continually fight off football coach Jesus. I do have to fight continually to fight off that football coach Jesus. But this fight is a good fight. Luke tells a story about Jesus on the way to Jerusalem with his disciples, a broad term used to describe anyone who chose to follow him, the 12 apostles, the Pharisees, the curious, the outsiders, and the unclean. The story is framed beautifully. Everything from chapter 9 to chapter 19 takes place as they travel to Jerusalem. Luke repeats on the way, and the way to emphasize that Jesus is teaching his followers what it means to follow in the way, to go with Jesus. In the beginning of chapter 14, it is the Sabbath, and as he does many times, Jesus attends the synagogue in the town he's passing through on his way to Jerusalem. He's invited invited to the synagogue leader's home for a meal afterwards, and some of his disciples, Pharisees among them, come with him. Only Pharisees can eat with Pharisees because they're a sect dedicated to ritual purity. In their understanding, one maintains a right relationship with God by remaining pure, and one remains pure by keeping company only with others who are pure. In Mediterranean culture at the time, strict rules divide people. One's place in society is defined by those who one associates with. The primary unit is the extended family, and it is seen as a whole. And if a member achieves greatness, then the family achieves greatness. If one of them is humiliated, humiliated, then they all are humiliated. Meals are the clearest reflection of your associations. You are who you eat with. Further, mealtime politics define one's relative position within the group. The closer you sit to the host, the greater your position of honor. Jesus teaches at the meal, which is his custom in this situation. First he tells a story about how one should take the position of least honor at the meal. Then he tells a story about how a great meal was given and none of the right people, the pure associations, came. Instead, the host went out and invited all the impure people, everyone from the lower classes, all the foreigners, and he ate with them. Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to follow on the way to this new kingdom, which reorders society from one of exclusion to one of inclusion. The way is about continually widening the circle. So after the meal, he leaves and his disciples follow him, and he turns and says to them, unless you hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, You cannot be my disciples. Now, after all that explanation, these words do not sound less harsh, less hard to hear. In fact, they're even more extreme because they're not simply about talking about having a bad relationship with your family, they are about abandoning the foundation of the culture. Jesus said, You will have to give up the associations that define who you are, and you will have to count the cost. He's saying that if you follow me, according to the old calculus, you will bring disgrace and dishonor to your family, because you will be on the way with the impure, the lower classes, even the foreigners. You will give up your family to be with one who will be executed as a criminal and a traitor. In the end, you have to be willing to give up your own life, because there is a very real chance that if they kill me, they will kill you too. This is much more than hating your family. This is transforming the culture you were raised in, that you live in. He wants them to know what it really means to go with him on the way. Now here's the beauty of Luke's structure. It starts out with Jesus being followed by Pharisees. In the middle, the disciples are following him, and they tell, he tells them what it will mean for them. Now, at the end, they are following him. And who joins the group? In chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, their mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters don't join them. Other Pharisees don't join them, but tax collectors and sinners join them. This is exactly the situation that Jesus has just explained to them. Here is what the reoriented world looks like, the kingdom of God looks like. They have to count the cost and determine if they can go this far if they can be on the way with the other, with the impure. And they say, look at this, he receives sinners and eats with them. Well, of course he does. And he receives you and eats with you. And in the new kingdom, you will all eat together. This is the point. But they're not ready to go that far yet. So what does Jesus do? He keeps teaching them. Through the next couple of chapters, same lesson, different approaches now it gets harder what does all this mean now all this time for me to follow Jesus I know that it's not about the old calculus of the football coach Jesus who defines a right relationship with God as being pure who defines purity and impurity by all my ability to go all the way and never screw up that is contrary to the text If this new calculus is about reorienting my world, then what does this mean? What is the foundation of our culture that needs to be upended? And how is that accomplished by following this God whose journey ends in death at the hands of the ones that God loves?